Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. I'm going to say it's the law. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank each and every one of you out there tuning into the broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texas broadcast. By Tex, I am Tex, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of most, the Gulf Coast of Texas, and it is my pride and privilege to be doing so. Today's subject, cyberpunk futures, the dystopian reality, the end game, literally the children of men, future of the zero population growth and collapse of Western society. Not by any virus of physical origin, but rather the mind virus of sexual perversion, hedonism, nihilism, transhumanism, that will arise in the literally the dying breaths of the capitalistic atheist state known as the West the capitalist West as it fully commits to being a perversion of itself knowing its end is near as a total singularity of enlightened, liberated souls begin to outnumber even the chattel slaves of these increasingly unpopular and isolated debt slavery empires. That we know as major corporate, a globalist, anti-national, you know, uh, totalitarian dictatorships called corporations. So let's get into it. The serious subject, but I will be resorting to humor where I can to help help kind of transition everybody over into this into this reality and to know that remember as Orwell said it laughter is a revolutionary act but also it is a sign of courage to stare into the abyss and laugh in the face of oblivion But what we're talking about is no laughing matter. No. Inshallah, no. We are talking about the overwhelming adoption of perversion, sodomite lifestyles, uh, sexual offender, um, positivity, I guess. Uh, I guess that's what I would call that. Exactly, I'm just trying to think of my head like what's going on, like sex or offender positivity, where where the literal 
perverts and rapists and freakos and sex pests of our communities are seen as like and that good is evil, evil is good, total satanic baphomet perversion seen as cultural icons and heroes. Uh, you could already see this with like the cross-dressers reading to children at schools. You can already see this with the all-ages drag show terrorism, where they're constantly trying to terrorize local communities uh, and and show their uh, show like an idea of like them being this overwhelmingly supported, popularized thing. But even but in reality, and this is quickly making the rounds, uh, people in America overwhelmingly overestimate the number of these people. But in reality, they are far, far fewer in number and far, far smaller of a fraction of any given community outside of the major urban communities, which we know as like their sanctuary cities like L.A., New York City, uh, Miami, etc., whatever. These big communities, right? But overwhelmingly across state communities, rural cities, uh, small communities, you know, like across the, the nation in the West, uh, in England and America and Canada, overwhelmingly they're non-existent. Non-existent, mind you, non-existent. As it seems to be, this is a symptom of overcrowding. This is a symptom of over-socializing. This is a symptom of not touching enough grass, as it were, and falling victim to the predations of the negative influences of far-stretched communities of strangers that we know as cities. Think about how little you know about your children's teachers. Think about how little you know about your children's uh, babysitters, even. Think about how little you know about your children's friends and their parents. Uh, think about how little you know about your own friends and uh, the people you let play with your children or at least uh, socialize in your home. You know, think about that. Uh, think about that in your own small community or local community in your city, whatever. And then, it, you know, multiply that to, say, having to move around for work or uh, being in a, say, a fraternal type society like a firefighter or a policeman or something where you have uh, large amounts of friend circles, uh, acquaintances, etc. due to work. Um, And think about things like uh, your corporate office or your workplace and how little you know about those people there. Um, Think about the people who you work for, your employers, your managers, your supervisors, etc. like that. And think about how they could overtly... Uh, exploit that position of power or trust, you know, almost sight unseen. And think about it. When you enter a new job, you're just talking to everybody and managers, etc. If they show you any kind of kindness or influence, you know, that, that's a positive influence. You could think even for your career or just, you know, hey, socially, I made friends with the manager. That's going to be cool. I can maybe get a longer smoke break, etc. So this can easily evolve into etc. Just think of that. And and think about that in the corporate world. Think about that in the corporate society. Already how it influences people, you know, and things like that. So think about how that becomes 
we're only this behavior, only this self-identification, only this identity of the LGBTQ truly exists. Big cities and big businesses around the world, Europe and America included, the Americas included, and Latin Americas, etc. And in highly conservative cultures, it is oftentimes only lived as a double lifestyle and only because of the exploits, mostly of the men. Yes, women do make up a large number with the lesbians and the bisexuals and the les- trans women, etc. But even proportionally, homosexual men in these communities outnumber to a large majority that of women. There are far more drag queens than there are drag kings. There are far more trans men than there are trans women. There are far more gay men than there are specifically gay women. And you can just argue that all you'd like, but that's 100% the case because men can choose and remain positions of supply, uh, providers, etc. in their communities regardless of really nation of origin, etc., ethnicity, women would oftentimes find that extremely hard to even indulge in that lifestyle, let alone express any kind of evolution into it. So they can't really find uh, women, you know, to marry. They can't really find women that would want to have a long-term committed, you know, working relationship where they move in into the same apartment together, etc. I've watched The L Word. I know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the entire point of dramas is unlike gay men, Lesbian women have it even harder because the women themselves just don't want to engage in that behavior. And so there's this whole thing with this being overwhelmingly pursued by rich, wealthy men in large corporations who have extremely large amounts of disposable income, perverse tastes, uh, hubris. They come from first world nations. They're typically highly educated, college educated people who um, typically are experimenters with drugs, psychedelic drugs, hedonisms of different kinds, right? And remember, vices can be money, vices can be drugs, and vices definitely are sex, sexual excess. But unless you actually believe in God, unless you actually believe in the right thing, the, the actual cosmic justice and order of things, and humble yourself... Even sexuality as a perversion, as an excess, as an indulgence for pleasure, becomes perverted and becomes something that's self-destructive. This is in many holy texts, many. And this in the Abrahamic faith, like we at the Beyond Top Secret Texas do follow, as well as in the occult faith of the alchemical ways, understand that sex is the sex is if you play with fire you're going to be burned sex is that literally taken if you indulge in sex it will ultimately kill you and destroy you because it you're gambling with your vril and you're gambling with the ability to constantly regenerate your vril based on your personal health but if the vril begins to to be spent and spent in the wrong direction. Um, the truth is it's impossible to regain that vigor, to regain that vril, unless you have spiritual or supernatural providence as well as an extremely 
you know, what we consider now like an alchemical or hermetic or, uh, like, you know, uh, cult uh, health regiment. Either meditation, Taoist meditation, Shinto meditation, um, you know, uh, tantric sexual practices of the Vedas, as well as a healthy diet, etc., etc., etc. So the common person really can't go to orgies, sex clubs, have sex with literally every woman woman they find for more than about five to ten years. After about five to ten years of doing that, they'll start to gain VDs, they'll start to uh, become sickly, either emaciated, say if they're homosexual, uh, this is where you get your AIDS or your uh, HPV. This is where people tend to slow down. And to be honest, <clears throat> I'm not judging any lifestyle, anything in the presumption that if they do it in their own moderation and they do it out of love, genuine love and affection, you know, I've, God made many mysteries in this world, let alone the behaviors of people, which are, you know, so... Exactly. Who am I to describe this Allah? It's Allah, uh, business, right? To, he made many different people. Uh, do I agree with it? Yeah, well, then this is obviously a matter of that. But lifestyle alone isn't a death sentence. Isn't the guilty verdict on it? It's the behavior of adultery. It's the behavior of a ravenous gluttony. Uh, people don't know this, but sexual partners, body count, etc. That matters. And that is oftentimes abused, especially in big cities. Um, I'm not a saint, and I understand that having multiple partners into the double digits and uh, low triple digits is possible for a very sexually active, attractive person or someone who's very charismatic and knows how to play people or someone who's getting paid to have sex. But it's also completely possible for someone to have thousands of sexual partners. Thousands of sexual partners within a relatively short period of time. A decade would be long enough to accumulate thousands of sexual partners. Given the big city's disgusting hedonistic carnality. There is sex bars where people are just fucking each other. Say, for example, in the gay scene, there are grinder hookup apps uh, by now, I guess, the dozen different kinds, and there have been in the past, etc. Uh, like I said, the heydays of Tinder. People were going nuts on that. Fat, ugly people and shit were just stacking up bodies. And then you have things like the COVID lockdown and shit where women of all kinds were just, they had no standards because they were lonely and would fuck any guy who said hello to them and shit like that. That was reported. Read Reddit. Read that shit. Women are talking about having sex two different guys in a day or, you know, whatever and shit like that. Sometimes just fucking guys like the, the Grubhub guy, the guy dropping off your food and stuff, your Uber dude. Uh, things like the guy, the Uber guy who gave you a ride or something to go get tested. You're just like, hey, you want to come back to the apartment? Don't even take your masks off and shit. Read that shit. Like, go look at it. Like women posting L's and stuff. You have like women who get knocked up, have a baby, then the husband, the bolt, the, the dad of the, the baby bolts on them. So now they have to find new men. 
literally when the before even a year is out, they're getting into relationships, they're dating multiple men, juggling men, cheating on guys who have to pick them up, you know, from rock bottom and are supporting their babies and then they go and cheat on them. Because it's an insatiable lust. It's an insatiable desire of validation. It's an emptiness inside, etc. Nothing new, right? This is 2023. If I'm the one having to explain, and I think a lot of people are going trad, conservative, anti-sex now too. Millennials, for example. I'm not talking millennials, sorry. um, That's my generation. Um, The Zoomers, the, the newest form of kids who are now recently 18 and stuff like that. They're having less sex than the current baby boomers who are between their 50s and 70s. Because millennials understand that there is a lot more risk and danger and it should be special. Not millennials, uh, the Zoomers or whatever. Understand that it should, should be special. That sex is something to take slowly. Sex is something to do right. And yes, it is out of fear, but it's now also awkwardly out of a lack of social graces a lack of personal courage and confidence, as well as porn addiction and uh, mental illness and overwhelmingly prescription drug usage uh, or weed addiction at an early age, which kills off the libido. And yeah, I'm sorry, but the Zoomers aren't like having sex purely because it's uh, abstinence choice, right? And you're just like, no, you know, not for me. I'm waiting till marriage. You're dealing with an 18-year-old guy who has been smoking weed and eating weed gummies, you know, since he's been 13 or whatever, and his dick doesn't work anymore unless he's watching furry trans porn, uh, you know, while playing Call of Duty at the same time, or Twitch streaming at the same time or whatever the fuck, like multiple ADD scatterbrained bullshit that if you actually were having to look through his eyes, you would you'd be aware of the horrors of man-made invention that Tesla fucking warned us of, that this motherfucker is now, like, these people are alive now. They are literally the children of men who used to just sit in their rooms, play video games, and jack off. That's literally their fathers. And their fathers are the the, the grandfathers of the generation that used to just, like, uh, you know, buy VHS tapes and shit at porn shops and just, like, goon out and shit. And the women are the weak-willed, regular neighborhood women who fuck these guys and everything. These are just common people, right? This is, like, say, Houston suburbite. This is just, like, you know, suburban Houston, big city type person. They're chronically online. They always have a phone or a device in their hand. These people can't even fucking remember the last time they opened up a book or did anything without the internet. Um, everything from their music to, is just force-fed by the algorithm. These are people with actual, like, uh, accounts on on Pornhub and stuff, like, with their profile, like, you know, accurately kept up in social network and shit. Because it's a social network, and people forget that. There's, like, porn social networks and shit, and that's like, oh, you can share profiles and stuff, but it's like mostly just fucking dudes, like, collecting videos and stuff, and it's just like weird shit like that, but this is nothing new, nothing new at all, in fact, I'll be reading an article from 2004 talking about the future of 2024 in terms of predicting future fetishists 
based on the internet. And I am fucking super psyched that I found this article because it it absolutely fucking uh, drops the mic on this fucking subject. Is what I'm trying to say is this is nothing new. This has been the projected trajectory of Western mankind since both the integration of hardcore pornography into the uh, common person's like sexual diet, as well as increasingly privatized versions of sexual stimulation from um, porn theaters to VHS tapes, homemade tapes, etc., to the earliest days of the internet, to private downloads of like gigabyte files, etc., on hard drives, now to the cloud and streaming, to the point now of like, you know, whatever the fuck they're doing now, live stream slash like AI uh, created fucking pervert shit, but it's 100% a reflection of both human nature and the time and place of when it exists. You know, like, it it's, exists both in context. It's a stream of, stream of the same waking nightmare that is the modern world and the constant objectifying and prostitution of its own women and everything that it considered at once virtuous and desirable uh, into the extreme, into the, the destructive. And at the same time, the fact that as it's self-destructing, it's seeking out further ways to explore its own nihilism. Because if a man, for example, is making the decision to be homosexual, for example, and knows he's not going to have children or the approval of his kin or family... That same man may then decide to be transsexual, homosexual, which is like, okay, well, if my parents aren't going to accept me for who I am, I might as well double up and up the ante and become a woman because I'm not accepted as a gay man. I will be accepted as a gay, uh, as a woman or a man who proclaims and identifies as a woman. Then I'll have this sex change operation, which will horribly scar my body. And then, regardless, now I'm committed, regardless if I've decided to, you know, get out of this phase or psychological state of mind or whatever, I can't. And thus, depression, self-destruction, drug use, uh, resorting to online, distraction, etc. So, locked into this doom, this materialistic doom, literally losing your soul in this system and then having to ultimately re- the resort to suicide, which many do, and are a life of uh, living through this self-maiming uh, process, which is sold as medical care, which is sold as westernized medical care based on what I'm going to read. Because the ruling class, the class that rules the medical world, the class that rules the mass entertainment world, the media world, the journalist world, etc., the social political world, Fucking enforces this crap, man. Fucking is is uh, encouraging this shit, dude. Is fucking um, playing the pied fucking piper flute and leading all these disenfranchised, lonely, um, mentally ill, um, basically neglected, fucking big city kids, suburb kids, you know, directly into the fucking hellfire. As they fucking decide that this is going to either create patience for their psychiatric and uh, physical 
therapy uh, for life or to uh, get rid of the competition ultimately between the different families and the different tribes. Like, hey, um, this is for the Goyim, for example. This is for the Goy. They have Jewish uh, fucking plastic surgeons. They have Jewish psychologists. They have Jewish educators. They have Jewish school supervisors, for example, that are pushing this shit, pushing this trans ideology, education, etc., in schools 100% in and hand with the cyberpunk transhumanist future. Elon Musk putting brain chips and shit in people's heads and stuff. One of Elon Musk's kids is trans, for example. 100%. It's the more spoiled and rich and, and overly educated and nihilistic and addicted to technology and shit. And you can argue that 5G radio waves and Wi-Fi and shit cook people's brains, literally. You can also argue that microplastics and the dystopian food that they eat, like as they're eating fucking sugary uh, bullshit candies and Mountain Dew and Monster Energy drinks as they game over the course of their teenage years going through puberty, not exercising physically outdoors, not, for example, kissing girls, not, for example, seeing, like, their first, you know, real sex and nudity in person and stuff, not, for example, hunting and killing and, like, actually experiencing life and nature and lessons and learning, fishing, stuff like that, seeing the sun, seeing nature. Um, they're indoors. They're playing these high-tech fantasy escapist adventures. They're, they're communicating across internet Wi-Fis with people around the world. They're uh, isolating themselves, even though they think they're reaching out into smaller and smaller echoplexes. And they're starving themselves from any reality and any real contact, any true God-like connection, and be, they grow into a state of mental illness and depression, sometimes because they physically just don't expose themselves to solar energy and, rate, and the sunlight. They literally sit in their fucking rooms or stay up all night and sleep all day and shit. Um... One of my exes, her brother was like that. This guy was in high school. He weighed 300 fucking pounds. Uh, he had just entered high school. They, he was trying to go on the football team to try to like lose weight. They wanted him because he was fat. He was 300 fucking pounds. All he did was play games uh, and, and hang out. It was the first time he actually even fucking ran, he said, because he didn't try out for middle school. So like, think about it. He was just like, oh, yeah, I'll go play football. And, you know, luckily they were trying to, like, make a man out of him and stuff. And so I'm just saying, like, this is – I was heavily encouraging him. Like, yeah, like, go, go do something. Go out. But that was the first time he actually physically even ran, he said. And all he did his entire life was play video games. And this is someone – this is, like, your 20, 2017, 2016. So this is, this is the already obsolete. Already that's fucking from now, like, seven years ago. So there are people who were – seven back then who are now 14 now who those were their older brothers that was the generation that has already gone to high school and is now going to college that's now like halfway through their college education and as we speak now in 2023 imagine how it will be in 2030 which is only seven years from now same thing as if I went back in 2017 and I was having a conversation with myself. Practically the same person. I mean, I'm practically the same person. But these people are literally in the most development or the most important developmental years of their life. They're literally, this, these are the years that are going to make or break these people psychologically, emotionally, 
and physically, that it will literally set them on their courses to be the people they are going to be. And I'm not saying, no, I don't want them to be, et cetera, et cetera, based on uh, prejudice or anything like that. But I know the statistics that there's a lot more self-harm and a lot less satisfaction down one road, which is the broad road, and then a lot more safety on the narrow road. And I'll even say it, it is according to spiritual practices, et cetera. Being a monotheist, being an Abrahamist, you know that this is 100% that case, or I have a strict uh, confirmation bias. I have a belief that this is not, not even a belief, because you can't believe something that you already know for a fact. It is a fact that that lifestyle brings ruination, punishment, and personal shame. But it's not a reason to absolutely hate someone and dismiss them because of the spiritual high ground that we would have on that case. But it's the behavior that we hate, and it's the behavior that we know that we can save people from. But no, at this point, we can't because more and more people are falling for that behavior because they are being encouraged by the poisons and the traps in society that we're clearly seeing develop into even more perverse and intense versions of themselves, which is the entire reason I'm giving this broadcast. And talking about the hard hedonism, the nihilism, and the perversions of the future of the cyberpunk transhumanist world. As we get into the 2020s and 2030s, Elon Musk is already talking about developing the first working commercial brain chips. And because it's Elon Musk, you know these aren't going to fucking work. These are going to kill people. These are going to break people. These are going to uh, poison them. And, and and hurt them, and, and the first generation, etc., will be considered the sacrifices necessary, but they will be flocked to by the people who have no God, who wish only for the hedonistic cyberpunk perversions, because it will be a, an extension of a way to sexually satisfy themselves, their relationship with technology, these technophiles, right? Who are, in their sense, a, a part of the new LGBTQ community. The double T, I guess you could call it now, whatever. LGB double T, the trans and transhumanists and the technophiles. Right? It's all different kinds of godless sodomy. So let's read this article. Not mine, by the way. This is not my article. This is five pillars. What are Muslims thinking? The LGBT movement and transhumanism. Blogger Najim al-Din looks at the links between the LGBT movement and the transhumanists and asks if these movements aim to irreversibly change what it means to be human. The answer is yes, they do. With Pride Month in full swing, the LGBT movement continues to induce seismic cultural changes in the West, with rainbow parades and festivals now marquee attractions in several parts of the world. This is written 23rd of June 23, by the way, 2023. So this is 23rd June 2023 article. From politicians and NGOs to academics and corporations, support for the LGBT community has permeated almost every aspect of society and its sponsors represent some of the most powerful Fortune 500 companies. From the very top down, the elites down. In this article, I want to examine the links between the LGBT movement and transhumanism. A movement or idea that suggests humans can enhance themselves using technology. 
Transhumanists believe that humans can go beyond their current physical and mental limitations by using science and technology to improve their bodies and minds. They envision a future where people can use things like genetic engineering, artificial intelligence, and advanced prosthetics to become smarter, stronger, and healthier. The goal is to push the boundaries of human capabilities and achieve a kind of post-human state where they are no longer limited by biological nature. Some transhumanists even imagine a future where humans merge with machines, creating a new kind of hybrid species. But before unpacking the broader intellectual context underpinning the LGBT movement's popularity, let us identify the juggernauts behind the agenda to deconstruct the traditional gender paradigms. The Pritzker family. Some of the world's wealthiest families with important connections in the corridors of power are using their networks to normalize the idea that humans are not a sexually dimorphic species. Investigative journalist Jennifer Balick describes this as a synthetic sex identity known as an SSI and shines a light on the tremendous influence of the Pritzkers, a billionaire entrepreneurial family who are leveraging their philanthropic foundations to disseminate an ideology are disembodied across America's medical, legal, and educational institutions. Let me read that again. The Pritzkers are a billionaire entrepreneurial family who are leveraging their philanthropic foundations to disseminate an ideology of gender disembodiment across America's medical, legal, and educational institutions. One fucking family. It is no secret that former U.S. President Barack Obama, who initiated the Affordable Care Act, which provides health insurance to the transgender population at large, was bankrolled by Penny Pretzker during his Senate campaign. Meanwhile, her brother, J.B. Pretzker, issued an executive order in support of nine non-binary children and introduced a transgender-friendly sex education bill for the K-12th through grade schools our school grades, in his capacity as the governor of Illinois. Furthermore, Penny's cousin, Jennifer Presker, is a transgender woman who founded the Tawani Foundation, which provides grants to clinics and university departments across the United States to promote gender-affirming care through medical interventions designed to affirm an individual's gender identity when it conflicts with the gender assigned at birth. As major donors to high education institutes specializing in queer studies, the Pretzkers have made massive inroads into politics, law, and academia, which they view as integral to instituting language reforms relating to legal definitions of womanhood and gender dysphoria. An individual known as John Stryker who is the heir to the multi-billion dollar Stryker Medical Corporation fortune and leading global patron of the LGBT initiative, <coughs> has played an instrumental role in building the political infrastructure for gay marriage. He is now redirecting the organization's focus to depatholog- depatholog- 
body disassociation into a booming gender industry where plastic phalluses, synthetic vaginas, cross-sex hormones, and gender reassignment surgeries are expected to net a market share of tens of billions of dollars in profits starting this year, 2023. Though company-owned sales subsidiaries, Stryker has marketed implants and puberty blockers to healthcare facilities, which prefer, perform surgeries on young people's sex organs and has set up offices in 36 countries, including epicenters of trans activism such as the United Kingdom, which is the second largest market for Stryker medical supplies. Through company-owned sales subsidiaries, Stryker has marketed implants and puberty blockers to healthcare facilities. Oh, sorry. ESG slash SRI investing. Under the banner of inclusivity and diversity, investment management firms have also championed the LGBT movement as part of their commitment to human capital, including J.P. Morgan Chase, which was the first major bank to provide staff and partners coverage for gender reassignment surgeries. Until recently, the viability of the LGBT movement rested primarily on a peer-to-peer -peer financial structure. However, many transgender projects are to today being earmarked by global hedge funds for socially responsible investing, SRI, and environmental, social, and governance standards known as the ESG. Investing, which tie to the UN, the United Nations, SDG, Sustainable Development Goals. Big, major players, right? So in practical terms, SRI, socially responsible investing, may exclude companies from investment if they were deemed discriminatory towards the queer community, despite performing well on other ESG criteria. Attracting investment from ESG and SRI investors partly explains why many businesses have jumped, quote-unquote, on the woke bandwagon. This, coupled with the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which sees influential actors stepping aside and exploring the movement's trajectory where the backdrop of radical systematic changes takes root in the Western world. We are passing through a stage in history known as the Great Reset, where groundbreaking technological and scientific innovations will no longer be relegated to the physical world alone, but may and will definitely become extensions of ourselves, including sexual identities. Dubbed the Fourth Industrial Revolution, it architects consists of powerful stakeholders across business, technology, and science who envisage a future where artificial intelligence, the AI, CRISPR gene editing technologies, the Internet of Things, and the Internet of Bodies will shift the calculus of what it means to be human, including human value, both socially and sexually. One of the foremost advocates of this 4IR is Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the WEF, the World Economic Forum. A recurring theme in Schwab's works is that innovations in the biological realm will pioneer a scientific breakthrough, enabling the alteration of humans at a fundamental genomic level to herald a fresh chapter in the evolution of the species. So how does this tie in with the LGBTQ agenda? Transhumanism. 
It is no secret that the long list of WEF supporters from Big Pharma to Big Tech, including the Pritzkers, are instrumentalizing gender ideology to re-engineer human biology as per the hubristic aspiration of the 4IR. The Pritzkers join a long list of oligarchs, technocrats, and power brokers who perceive an inevitable progression towards transhumanism as a natural process of human evolution itself. Like I said, they don't have a god, they believe in evolution. Social Darwinism Although an ambiguous concept, transhumanism refers to the enhancement of the human condition via computer sciences, biotechnologies, and medicine, i.e. the cyberpunk future, and is marked by an underlying conviction that fundamental human problems have technological solutions. Prominent transhumanists such as the WEF advisor Yaval Noah Harari opine that the trifecta of technology, science, and reason will redefine nature and transform humans into hackable animals. His thoughts are echoed by Dr. Anders Sandberg, a senior research fellow and transhumanist at the Oxford University, who claims human liberty cannot be actualized unless we engineer ourselves by pursuing morphological freedom. Let me read that again. His thoughts are echoed by Dr. Anders Sandberg, a senior research fellow and transhumanist at Oxford University. So you can't get any more Anglican, Anglosphere, Western world, English-speaking fucking hellhole, great Satan, New York Babylon than that. Who claims human liberty cannot be actualized unless we engineer ourselves by pursuing morphological freedom. What godless heresy, correct? This means tapping into our boundless potential through the modification of our bodies and minds by integrating artificial components from molecular nanotechnology and neurotechnology to help us achieve mental states that would otherwise be beyond our grasp, as well as the cyberpunk chrome, for example, artificial limbs that would inevitably be weapons, or um, mostly perverse, hedonistic, fetishistic items, for example. Uh, we'll get into it. Just keep in mind everything I'm saying right now, because this is all the academic shit. And keep in mind when I become uh, kind of like working blue, when I start working blue, keep in mind that this is actually fucking going to happen. This is absolutely happening right now. That even though I will be, this is a sick joke of a reality, this is no laughing matter. This is, this is, this is not a joke. This is real. Even though this is a sick joke of reality, this is not a joke. This is fucking happening. This is the enemy. This is the society that we live under. These are literally our overlords. These are literally the authorities that control us. These are literally the leaders of our collective Western English-speaking nations, worlds, and, and local communities and states and shit like that. They literally have the highest power. In their quest to create a hybrid species, transhumanists argue that ignoring biological realities by expanding the definition of gender, normalizing a spectrum of sexes and sex practices, and reinventing the concept of embodiedness through body disassociation can transition mankind towards homo technicus. This creates the techno-medical complex. 
And given the synergy between the fourth industrial revolution and the LGBT ideology ruling this world, it would be short-sighted to perceive the cultural mania surrounding the LGBT rights as mere virtue signaling and not official state policy. Seeing as the pioneers of the Fourth Industrial Revolution have a significant stake in championing the social justice movement to tempt populations to buy into a worldview which can broadly be defined as transhumanism. Under the umbrella of human rights, the LGBT movement has found a natural ally in a powerful cadre of transhumanists who shares the same belief in elevating the subjective desires over objective reality. This by freeing individuals from externally imposed constraints foisted up on them by the inhabiting or inhabiting categories of gender and sexuality. The sacred cow of individual autonomy lends itself easily to other freedoms which notable transsexual and in, transsexuals invested in biogenetics like Martin Rothblatt view as an on-ramp that's a fucking Jewish name, Martin Rothblatt viewed as an on-ramp to transhumanism and a logical extension of other commonly perceived rights, such as paraphilias, which deny our biological realities for synthetic realities. In the dystopian transhumanism future of cyberpunk, natural procreation will no longer be functionally necessary and considered obsolete by the human-machine-interfaced caste. Cybersex and in vitro gametogenesis and an gametogenesis and an gametogenesis and an AI-powered social contract where humans coexist in a virtual reality with a digital overlord. Therefore, the convergence between the transhumanist and LGBT movements cannot be ignored with both posed but to gain momentum from one another as emerging technologies are deployed to refashion our biological constitutions, usurp female reproduction, and the integral nature of the male-female sexual relationship and control the human genome through the artificial insemination and gene editing process. In light of this, it is imperative to note that powerful interest groups intersecting in the world of science, technology, finance, and politics are using a rights-based framework pioneered by their LGBTQ political agenda to secure our consent for radical changes to the human body under international law. By reshaping dominant cultural narratives surrounding reproduction, personhood, and sexuality to align with an ideology which is bent on subverting all natural life forms, it is not long before the optional human follows the optional gender on any government record. A future where people don't even have to consider themselves human based on their own self-perception. Now, why does this matter? It's because the writing's already on the wall. The statistics are already in.
And so we see, for example, numbers just of a sample study of porn addiction. Right? Because, of course, it's hard to get answers and it'd be too much of a lightning rod to slay the sacred cow that is the trans uh, movement or the trans uh, statistics for mental health illness as well as suicides, which is 40%, by the way. 40% of the trans community kills themselves. Nearly one in two trans people, trans men, trans women, will take their own lives after typically battling depression, drug addiction, poverty, and etc. And a litany of physical and mental illnesses, uh, suffering high levels of domestic abuse uh, between their partners, uh, low levels of employment, high levels of um, social uh, prejudice, etc. Because remember, in real life, they are an extremely small and unrecognized minority. And this is the real fucking world. Wherever you are in your internet chat rooms, Reddit, Tumblr, whatever, Discord, and you're talking about feminization and the empowerment and the death of the patriarchy and how your queer, uh, non-binary, furry persona, uh, you go wear that shit outside and see if someone doesn't throw their fucking garbage at you from their car as they drive by. Seeing if you don't get openly mocked by regular blue-collar workers who would reject you on sight instinctively because of the social taboos within their own community of dealing with such alternative, non-binary, uh, non-status uh, quo, non-conservative type lifestyles, especially in South Texas, especially in Texas. Although in the bigger cities, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, Austin, etc., it's queer sanctuary bullshit. Like I said, this only exists in the big transhumanist, globalist communities in the world, right? So, but let's read the statistics because it's not all fucking golden. It's not all rainbow at the end, uh, gold, pot of gold at the end of the fucking rainbow, right? So just ask yourself this, uh, you know, out of all of the world, because remember, this is just porn statistics, um, you know, what's really going on with the fucking numbers here? What's really going on with, with these people and how they actually shape their identities? What's the gateway process like? And it's inevitably pornography. They're not walking in on family members being trans. They're not walking in on family members being homosexual because that's a very small percentage. They are learning about this through pornography they discover on the internet. They are cyberpunk future, fully sexualized technosexuals, right? Regardless of what you want to call it, that's technosexuality. Because your sexual uh, exposure is through the internet and through technology. A computer screen, a cell phone, tablet, whatever. These statistics are real and they're taken from the CDC. The average age of initial pornography exposure is just 11 years old as self-reported. Meaning that these children discover pornography 
either alone or in company, at only 11 years old. And by that, I mean mostly everybody who self-identifies through porn addiction, at least through recovery programs. Only 28% of self-diagnosed pornography addicts are female. The rest, 72%, are male. I said overwhelmingly majority of perverts and sexual fetishists and sex addicts and porn addicts, sex customers, for example, in the sex industry are male. And by that, I mean 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10. Same with the LGBT community. Most of those people are gay men. 7 out of 10, gay men. Not, not women. Not anyone else. It's all men. Men are more than six times as likely to view pornography than women and more likely to spend time viewing it. 17% of women say they struggle with pornography addiction compared to over 60% of men who view the amount of time they view pornography as a negative. Can't stop themselves though. Two hundred thousand Americans are self-identified porn addicts, and this is defined as spending a total of eleven hours or more a week online searching and viewing pornography. More than fifty percent of those engaged in sexual internet addictions had lost interest in real sexual intercourse. One third of those self-diagnosed with spouses had lost interest in their spouse regardless of marital status. Addiction to porn has led to 40% of sex addicts losing their spouses through divorce. 58% suffering considerable financial losses such as spending on sexual websites or pornography websites and one-third even reported losing their jobs. Pornography use was reported to be the main influencer for marital infidelity which has gone up by over 300% according to divorce court filings. So adultery in America has gone up over 300% with pornography being typically the self-diagnosed majority reason as to why they seek to engage in extramarital affairs. 56% of divorce cases in America now involved one person claiming that the other has an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Severe clinical depression was reported twice as frequently among internet pornography addicts compared to non-users. And sexual compulsives with sexual addictions are 23 times more likely than those without a problem to state 
quote-unquote discovering online sexual material was the worst thing that had ever happened in their life. Others saying it was the largest mistake they had ever made. But they're not alone. For the cyberpunk future will be an increase in what we have now. And remember, the powers to be from the very top are already controlling the strings. And every 30 minutes, a porn film is made in the United States of America. Every second, 30,000 people are viewing pornography in America. The USA produces 89% of all pornographic material and web pages in the world. 42.7% of the internet users view porn. That's 102,434,567 people approximately every year. And that's self-identifying, by the way. That's self-identifying. That's someone who just is shamelessly saying, yeah, I watch fucking porn online. Of course I do. The other people are fucking liars. Porn is roughly a $13 trillion industry currently. It is larger than the revenues of the top technology companies combined, including greater in yield and profit than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink combined. Sex is the number one topic for internet searches. With 68 million daily pornographic search engine requests, making up 25% of the total world's search engine usage. When you go on Pornhub or X-Hamster or whatever the fuck, Motherless, and you search, you know, uh, normal-looking titties with big nipples or whatever, or big titties with normal-looking nipples. That was the Joe Biden thing. Big titties, normal-looking nipples. Uh, and you search that on fucking X-Hamster. That, that's Google. You're using Google. You're using Yahoo. You're using Bing. You're using those search engines loaned out and rinsed out. So that's 25% of the world's total search engine traffic is pornography requests. There are over 2.5 billion daily pornographic emails sent, which is 8% of the total emails sent in the world every day. The average porn internet user watches 4.5 pornographic films per day, which is in the internet age, it's like a minute, 5 minutes, 10 minutes long. And 70% of all porn internet traffic occurs during the 9 to 5 workday, meaning people are looking at porn during the day or at work. Continuing. 12% of the websites on the internet are pornographic. That's 24,644,000 approximately. Forty million Americans have 
admitted to having a favorite pornographic website that they regularly view. Seventy percent of all men ages eighteen to sixty-four self-report visiting a porn site at least once a month. Thirty-five percent of all internet downloads are from pornographic servers. Seventy-five percent of people on pornographic websites are searching for sex or sexual acts. Thirty percent use it for the adult dating aspect of it, and twenty-three percent upload their own self-made pornography. They are the models. They are the uh, the people trying to make money on it, the cam girls, etc. Utah has the nation's highest online porn subscription rate per thousand. And that stands at 5.47 per thousand. There are over 116,000 searches for child pornography on Google every day from America. And as though it wasn't obvious to say that the American God is that of pornography in the, 20, in the 21st century, the most popular day of the week for viewing pornography is Sunday. The so-called American day of worship. We see which gods and idols they worship in their very actions, don't we? So we see the writing on the wall. <clears throat> we see that the technophiles, the technocrats, the banksters, the capitalists, the billionaire class, they are gunning, gunning for us. Because they see the, the big business profitability of creating a world of spiritually castrated physically castrated sex addicted perverts that have cut all ties to any sense of decency and normalcy and worship sexual gratification and stimulation delivered to them via a machine anonymously Right? You can't get any more mentally ill than that. And you see the poisoning side effect that is killing this country and in large part the human race like testicular cancer gone untreated.
to get into it, uh, into more of the transhumanist and cyberpunk agenda to it, and how that is already a reality. The thing I just read, the statistics I just read, are proof in themselves that that is the dark side of what I'm saying, the perverse nature of being in a cyberpunk reality. It's not the jerk-off machines of cyberpunk um, 27-7. It's fucking um, not android sex robots, although that is reality, and that is happening That is happening now already. Um, like, a like Ghost in the Shell... It's the internet, at least in the primitive stage of it, creating a entirely anonymous sexual stimulation environments regardless of perversion or vice that is geared towards subliminally programming and encouraging the most unnatural, um, self-created... Uh, fetishes and shit that uh, are encouraged to be acted upon in the real world by the medical the techno-medical techno um, feel like, you know billionaire class as both a attempt at ruling a now physically castrated weaker uh, gooner society of fucking incels and hollow men and uh, basically either gatekeeping life to the extreme and lotting each and every one of, and becoming literally a nanny state, a mother state, creating its own citizens and test tubes or um, using the test tube technology as the leverage to ensure loyalty in their LGBTQ uh, transhumanist type families because they are barren and psychologically incapable of even having children and as children of men dystopia you know in the west uh, and that's 100% due to their own mental illness and physical um, addictions to this fucking AI algorithmic sexual uh, nightmare that they call all that one that one fucking future that we're heading towards that we're already in now and this article will prove it. This article will prove it. Because in its own humor, in its own joking way, it survives. And now, I used to laugh at this article when I read it, when I read it back then. And now I write it again after 20 years, and I am filled with horror. I am filled with horror to know that this is the world that I, I've been living in. I have been living in. And at the time, was laughing about And I will only imagine what kind of horror I will see it in even further into the future. I'll read two articles from this. And I'll create the great unveiling now. These are from somethingawful.com, the legendary comedy website, somethingawful.com. From Monday, September 13th, 2004, the black water lifts all boats. There is a sequence in the movie Blade Runner near the beginning in which a futuristic flying car takes off through the cityscape of Los Angeles, soaring between the glass canyon walls of unrestricted capitalism and technological progress. The vistas are at once beautiful and terrible, monolithic and dark, and with hell-like industrial venting visible across the glittering nighttime horizons. 
It's this sinister sparkle that has drawn me to the genre of cyberpunk in fiction, film, and even to an extent in music for many years. The genre simultaneously acknowledges the impossible potential of mankind to achieve so much and yet poison it all with our terrible human predispositions to greed, violence, and apathy. Many critics argue that this genre is dead and buried and that its concepts of cyber jockeys hacking the corporations has become archaic and unnecessary. In that regard, the critics are absolutely right. Computer hackers aren't the 21st century's Robin Hoods or Nelson Mandela. They're just silly kids defacing websites on 4chan and scammers running identity theft rings. To me, cyberpunk was never about the heroes and heroines of various novels. It was about the seductive nature of technology. The idea that the stunning beauty of our artifice could so entrance us that we would be willing to give up everything natural for it. At least once every year, I have a conversation with one of my good friends in which we discuss the recent milestones towards the inevitable cyberpunk future. At first, these conversations were sort of a joke, mocking the fantastic computer-generated realities of cyberpunk literature when compared to the pop-up riddled porn holes of the real internet. As more and more time progressed, these talks took on a more serious tone, and as the years passed, it became apparent that we both fairly convinced that we were on the cusp of a revelation. Crude mechanical hearts gave way to crude mechanical eyes and ears. Implants that address the most complex portions of the human anatomy. The power of governments throughout the world seemed to wane, while the power of corporations has never been greater. Even as information and the media has never seemed more vital to the global economy, Gibson's prediction of an internet-based devaluation of consumer data seems yet more prophetic. You can download films the day they appear in theaters. If you live in China, you can walk into a legitimate business and buy DVDs of American movies or Japanese games for a twentieth of the cost they actually retail for in controlled markets. I'm ready to go ahead and make the bold declaration that we're here. We've come a long way, baby, but welcome to the cyberpunk future. Remember, this is 2004. The last draw for me was an article I read a few months back about a corporation being employed by the U.S. government to fight in Iraq. It's called Blackwater USA, and it embodies the absolute ideal of cyberpunk corporatism. Beneath a photograph of men in black armored uniforms holding submachine guns, the text on the company's website reads... We have an established a global presence and provide training and tactical solutions for the 21st century. In the case of Iraq, Blackwater has been contracted by the government to provide armed security for U.S. facilities, officials, and even in some cases military bases. I was under the impression that these tasks would fall under the aegis of the military itself. But in this costly and dangerous world, I guess Blackwater was capable of offering a better deal than their own taxpayer-funded military. Blackwater operatives are elite. They're drawn from the ranks of U.S. Special Forces and intelligence communities. They are often better equipped than our own military in terms of per-man capability, and they are certainly better paid making four or five times as much of what the government pays a soldier, even in a combat zone. It begs the question, 
How exactly is it a good deal to use Blackwater? The answer, as all answers are in today's cyberpunk world, is impossible to know for certain. Jane Bruderlard believes that in our postmodern world, we model our lives on simulations of life. A simulation is generated by the media from nothing, and we attempt to emulate the perfect model. This idea of simulacra is integral to the cyberpunk world in which we live. When politicians spar on CNN, neither provides an actual answer or an actual truth. Both instances provide a simulation structured for consumption and ease of use. So is the case with Blackwater, which exists in Samalakra to provide security for soldiers who are providing security for a simulation of democracy that was created in a cabinet meeting in Washington, D.C. in 2001. Your perception is colored only by the Samalakra you're exposed to. It has become our now new reality. Our world is an existential hell. Our lives and reality are defined entirely by the media we absorb and nothing else. Control through media. War through propaganda. The all too real deaths of more than a thousand men and women in Iraq are nothing but a number to be used by one head of the Hydra to attack another. Terrorism, itself a dark face of propaganda, has become much the same. Flags are raised on the skeleton of the World Trade Center and we solemnly duck our heads and observe a minute of silence like Muslims bowing to the call of the Muzin. Honor the firefighters who gave their lives so bravely on that terrible day by watching a tribute on Fox News. Then maybe watch it again when it gets replayed three hours later just because you think that they would like that in heaven. Or, if you prefer... Hang on every word of Al Jazeera as they describe the vicious attacks perpetrated by the Americans on the innocent Iraqi civilians. The simulation of choice is yours. Good and evildoers, right and wrong, Democrat and Republican, terrorism and freedom, 5,000 years of human strife and struggle condensed to 30 characters on the CNN ticker, visible as merrily rolling sentence fragments beneath the smiling face of Anderson Cooper. Here we are, baby, the future is now, and you'll find those sinister glass canyons of Blade Runner on one of a thousand channels available through Direct TV. Vote in today's web poll. The topic, is any of this shit really happening? Is there any fucking truth anymore? When you get diabetes and globe blind from eating all those Twinkies you bought at Walmart, just remember that our incredible science will make you new eyes. Better ones. We have the technology. And you won't even have to worry anymore about whether you are seeing is real or not. Just winking pixels and phosphines fickling through your cerebral cortex. Electrical currents channeled on hair-thin wire straight to your brain. And it's out of sight. That was written in 2004, let me remind you. As was this article. This article was written in 2004. And I want you to know that that's 20 years ago as the reading of this podcast. 
fetishes of the future. Something awful has been around almost as long as the internet itself. In that time, we've taken a look at a wide array of sexual fetishes, ranging from the unnerving to the truly horrifying to the absolutely baffling. We've met people who pop a proverbial, which is to say literal stiffy over fat women, gigantic women, Lord of the Ring characters having gay sex, dead people, unconscious people, sick people, retarded people, kids, old people, midgets, robots, plants, animals, furries, men dressed like animals, plushies, fat furries, furries with 50-foot penises, furries who eat each other, furries with multiple heads, people swelling up like balloons, statues, paralyzed people, paraplegics, amputees, ubongi lip discs of native African tribes, scat and scat play, people wetting themselves, cannibals, diapers, being eaten by cannibals, little plastic army figure porn, Lego porn, women whose cars break down, anime characters having gay or incestuous sex, comic strip characters having gay or incestuous sex, and much, much more gay and incestuous sex. Hell, if you scroll down today, you can read about a women or people who find enormous women's noses sexy. Some of those fetishes were publicly acknowledged before the invention of the internet, mind you. But others are so bizarre that I can only imagine that they would never have taken shape if it not for the Internet's amazing ability to give complete freaks of nature and societal rejects a sense of community and entitlement. No rational person could possibly predict that a fetish about, say, women trying to get their car started would ever emerge, let alone develop enough of a following to necessitate necessitate the production and sale of movies on both VHS and DVD. Nor could anyone predict that there would actually be people, as in more than one person, who actually fantasized about being killed and eaten by a real-life cannibal. But lo and behold, the latest rage in Germany, that's right, Germany, not Japan, has seen a real person going to trial for doing just that. I don't know what we did to these two countries when we spanked them so heartily in World War II, but their cultures have gotten severely sexually messed up. The point is, no one can actually hope to understand the depths of human fucked upness enough to predict the next deeply disturbing fetish to take shape in a Yahoo group, and then the internet is large by storm or at large by storm without being pretty severely fucked up themselves. But that's just what I'm going to try to do, ladies and gentlemen. I present your, for your enjoyment my guesses as to the dark and deviant nature of a few of the fetishes we will soon see floating around the internet of the future. Before we begin, allow me to take note. This article is intended only for mildly comedic purposes. Nevertheless, I fully expect that at least a couple of these fetishes will actually emerge sometime in the near future if they aren't fetishes already. Flames, known as flamies. The heat of passion and the friction of two bodies intertwined just isn't hot enough for the flamies. 
These enthusiastic but unquestionably stupid individuals just can't get excited about sex unless things are hot, hot, hot. That's why they obsess over the act of sex between two or more people who are actively on fire. The Flamies find nothing more erotic than the combined stench of sweat, sex, burning flesh, and hair. Whether it's a lit match tossed into the pubic hair or a liberal dousing of gasoline all over the body, the Flamies need that fire to fuel the fire in their loins. You know, the one that isn't scabies. Due to the nature of the fetish, flamey sex is usually very short in duration and is more often than not a one-time indulgence. Since even in the instances where the participants survive, their genitals are typically charred beyond recognition. The Flamies have spawned an offshoot called Combusties, who fantasize about having their partner spontaneously combust or about spontaneously combusting themselves during sex. Due to the rare and unpredictable occurrence of actual spontaneous human combustion, this branch of the fetish is less commonly practiced, although websites that cater to it offer a variety of poor quality animated videos featuring lame special effects that attempt to at least represent this odd and thoroughly moronic fetish. Naturally, the fantasy is also accompanied by plenty of bad art and erotic slash fixturing featuring Goku spontaneously combusting while attempting to go Super Saiyan while having gay sex with Vegeta. Note, the Flamies should not be confused with Flamers, who are defined as regular readers of Fark. Oh, Fark, I remember that. Crawlies. When one daring young man published a short story on his GeoCities site about a boy who trips out while jogging on a hot summer's day and lands with his crotch on top of a bustling anthill, he inadvertently gave an entire hidden subculture the courage to make themselves known. This group quickly dubs themselves the Crawlies and bands together around the common fetish of having thousands upon thousands of tiny, biting, stinging insects swarm all over and inside their genitalia. One of the more vocal of the new wave fetishes, many practitioners make appearances on daytime television and active internet podcast with the, I guess you go, yeah, this one just says internet uh, podcast with a male fetishist making such comments as you don't know how good it feels to have a hundred thousand tiny little feet massaging your cock and the females sharing stories of finding their crunchy corpses of dead wasps inside their vaginas, talking to audiences everywhere and throwing them into chaotic hooting, hollering and vomiting. This fetish is single-handedly responsible for the emergence of seven previously unheard of sexually transmitted diseases and school sexual education programs beginning to include lessons of inserting fire ants into a urethra. Naturally, the fetish is also accompanied by plenty of bad art and erotic slash fiction featuring Goku dumping a jar of spiders onto his scrotum while having gay sex with Piccolo. Note, I couldn't find a good place to insert it in the above paragraph, but I want you to know that I came up with the joke. This gives new meaning to the word cockroach. Third, Pindies. The complicated, difficult, and largely painful act known as pendulum sex will have a small but dedicated cabal of followers. The concept is simple. 
two people attached themselves to long tethers fastened to a pole suspended some 50 feet plus off the ground. Then they climb up ladders spaced out a good distance from each other. Both people leap off at the same time and swing towards each other, attempting penetration upon impact. The catch, beyond the geometric precision needed to orchestrate such a perfectly executed collision and penetration, is that from the heights and distances the most practitioners attempt this feat, they have to get it right on the first swing because the initial impact is going to break several bones in both participants. To that end, the male attempting penetration actually has to work himself up to the point of orgasm by hand before leaping. Then maintain the erection while swinging through the air until he can sink his dick deep into his fast-moving partner, male or female, and deposit his seed. Of course, should the male miss his mark by even a little, he will end up either crushing his erection against the other person's body, or in the case, particularly strong erection, stabbing a hole into his partner. Come to think of it, it's not that simple at all, really. In addition to high mortality rates, this fetish is naturally also accompanied by plenty of bad art and erotic slash vision, featuring Goku swinging like a pendulum while attempting to have gay sex with Krillin. And last, but not least... The Freakies. These abnormally and clearly disturbed individuals have an unquenchable obsession with calm, relaxed, straightforward, missionary sex between a consenting man and woman. They don't believe in having sex in exotic locations, with body parts not normally thought of as sexual, or using any sort of tools or outside objects. Naturally, they are considered freaks of the highest caliber in the future Americas and universally reviled and shunned by practitioners of the normal fetish lifestyle of the LGBT. Freakies are forced to keep their hidden desires private and register on a list, lest they face overwhelming amounts of extreme ridicule and discrimination. Fearing for their safety, they scarcely create webpages of their sick fetish at all, and their pornography is traded on the underground. This fetish is also accompanied by plenty of bad art, of Goku with his wife making love with their shirts on. These are just a few of the revolting sexual practices that will emerge in the future. Just remember, if you found anything in any of the preceding paragraphs to be the least bit arousing, then you are part of the problem. Perhaps you should consider creating a badly designed and largely incoherent website about it. Be sure to go on at length in your live journal about why your fetish isn't wrong and why the courts are actually the bad guys. So hilarious. We can we can break the ice there a little bit with the comedy, you know. Give it some give it some Give it some levity. But of course, not everything is in the self-destructive, suicidal urge of that most unnatural practices 
that which we've just described, but that will become more prevalent, and as we have been describing, are becoming more prevalent as the agenda already speaks about the cyberpunk, hard hedonism, orgiistic capitalist culture that we're in. But there's also the orgiastic, heterosexual culture that is emerging post-fet life, post Fifty Shades of Grey, of a new dawn of sexual liberation, a new dawn of sexual acceptance that is heteronormative, explorative, and adventurous. Much like the days of the elite Romans, as in the time of our Christ Julius Caesar, the wealthy, the middle class, the respectable, the citizen, will find themselves engaging in more wanton debauchery and orgies in real life if they are attractive enough because the, t- the overwhelming future will be from swingers, people already addicted to pornography and wanting to indulge, as well as a far more looser social world when the extremes of behavior are so self-destructive, antisocial, and bizarrely unnatural. In that light, in that context, having multiple men have sex with one woman in a gangbang is not that weird. Swinging between two hetero couples, uh, two beautiful men, two beautiful women, diff- uh, both dating each other, and then you know the partner switch, etc., in the same room, etc., will be considered tame, domestic, and even downright Christian in the future, as it is practically already considered now. A husband that is confident enough in his marriage. And knowing that it probably isn't statistically his first or will be statistically his last, will be more open to indulging in that lifestyle. Like in the 70s, with free love, swinging, etc., key parties, as long as it's a mutual um, realization of fantasy. Him getting a blowjob extramaritally, etc., all of that combines into it and its permissiveness. Of the culture that follows. This article is also 100% a satire. Also from somethingawful.com. And it'll be the last article I read. That'll leave us on kind of a happier. More optimistic note. But it is much more. Realistic. In terms of what we know of. Our predictive reality. Where we're heading. In this most serious of manners. But to know that at least. For the hetero pride, for the heterosexual pride, for the heterosexual normative amongst us, the future's so bright we gotta wear shades. So let's get into it. It's a purely satirical uh, article about orgies. This is read to highlight the fact that this is already a nihilistic cyberpunk world. This is already a world that we have created. Art imitating life, life imitating art. This was published in 2006. 
Not a day goes by when I don't hear a dozen cynics and naysayers lamenting the deaths of the orgy scene. The legends are past their prime, they say, and the newcomers can't match the artistry of their forebearers. They say the mainstream has gone down the toilet and the underground suffers from shoddy production values and third-rate talent. Some say the scene is dominated by fame-hungry hacks and sleazy promoters. Some say the magic is gone. Pure flummery, says I. As a longtime connoisseur and critic of orgies, I maintain with the utmost confidence that 2005, despite its ups and downs, was a vintage year. Some tend to view the past with rose-colored glasses, ignoring the fact that orgies have always been hit or miss. For ever truly amazing events, there are ten that were total busts. Events that by today's standards would seem pedestrian, having been exaggerated and mythologized by nostalgic orgy pundits. Perhaps these doom and gloom grouches have merely outgrown the scene and can no longer appreciate the libidinous frenzy of a truly madcap orgy. I pit those who have lost their youthful zeal and must now disguise their waning appetite by pretending that it's the fault of the orgy scene. Perhaps these codgers should simply accept their middle age and move on to the ugly world of swinger events, where they can mingle with fat, nude, married couples in lukewarm Santa Monica hot tubs. I will happily admit that my libido has slowed down considerably in my nearly four decades of orgy going. Although I don't expect myself to perform at the level of a 19-year-old me, I can still enjoy a good orgy on a purely artistic level. I have a deep appreciation for the endless detail and difficult logistics that go into crafting a truly transcendent orgy. Orgy promoters have a job that can be every bit as demanding as a movie producer or a concert pianist and my respect for their craft grows every year. While I must admit that I abhor the year-end list trend that seems to masquerade as criticism these days, I feel like the list of best and worst orgies would be effective. From the days of Caligula to the summer of love, let's go. Peter Vega's Silhouettes This event represented immense critical vindication for me. As one of my many regular readers know, I have been championing Pete Vega's artistic eye for orgies for years. But despite his grand productions, his events have been woefully underattended. This was certainly not the case for Silhouettes, his most grandiose orgy yet. Some credit must be go to entrepreneur Steve Jobs for recognizing Vega's talent and underwriting the event. The hefty promotional budget given to Vega's masterpiece, the attention it deserved, and concerns of underpopulation vanished in a writhing snake pit of bodies. While some cynics claim that Vega had sold out, this orgy was Vega's show through and through, with his lavish art direction turning a disused Detroit tire factory into a lush, erotic paradise. As with all Peter Vega orgies, safety was paramount, and hourly timeouts were called to rotate the lowest layer of bodies back onto the top of the squirming heap. Xanadu I admit that I was initially taken back by Hugo Rodney's audacious announcement that he would attempt to recreate his legendary Xanadu 1989 orgy in the new millennium. All previous attempts at copying Xanadu have been dis dismal failures. 
Kublai Khan's Paradise, hosted in 1992 by Jack Malty, was a disappointing copycat orgy with none of the satirical flair of the original. Anyone familiar with contemporary orgy history will grimace at the mention of the Pleasure Dome 94, a garish, high-budget recreation aimed at teenagers, which was less of an orgy and more of a, more of a mean-spirited sex riot. I've heard it described as a sex fight. What those events lacked wasn't simply the Xanadu name. Without the artistic guidance of Hugo Rodney, they were doomed from the start. Rodney, with his distinctive Prince Valiant haircut and his owlish Coke bottle glasses, is one of the most recognizable faces in the orgy promoter industry. And the frustrating infrequency of his events is mitigated by their almost supernatural standards of quality. He truly has the Midas touch, and I should never have doubted his ability to put on a great sequel orgy. This was one of the most fervent and exhilarating orgies of my long life. The smell alone was unbelievable. I felt like a kid again. After almost 18 hours of hard pounding and participating, I slipped in a puddle of God knows what and sprained my ankle. You know you've been to a truly legendary orgy when you're wheeled out on a stretcher. Learns Fernando's The Apocalypse. A great piece of art can make even a stubborn old coot like me rethink his fundamental prejudices of the new talent. In the past, I've been highly critical of orgies in which the theme overpowered the action. I frequently accuse Lawrence Fernando of missing the point by focusing too highly on his image. In 1998, I gave his Matador Knights orgy a scathing review, even by my standards, calling it utterly ridiculous in its pretense. I said it's not so much as an orgy as it is a costume party. While I stand by my words about his previous work, Apocalypse has shown me that concept orgies have the potential to be every bit as sensually fulfilling as traditional orgies. Lawrence Fernando has grown considerable as an artist, and what once came off as egotism and pretense is now visibly as an earnest attempt to advance the art of orgy promotion to new heights. Not everything about this orgy was perfect. The cyberpunk theme occasionally led to some rather uncomfortably pointy costumes, and the jets of fire were painstakingly designed so as to be completely safe, they tended to make the room uncomfortably hot. This caused many revelers to pass out or suffer irregular heartbeats. Despite the minor gripes, Apocalypse was a daring artistic orgy with the potential to change how future generations look at this statement. Marilyn Conrad's The Candlelight. Marilyn Conrad has been called the queen of softcore orgies, but the title tends to underplay the frenzied finales of her events. A piece like Candlelight is not for the impatient, as Conrad tends to favor a gradual slow build, which can be frustrating to those with only a few hours to spend at the orgy. If one sticks around for the long haul, however, the, her orgies are anything but soft core. Candlelight may not be her best event, but Conrad deserves recognition for almost 20 years of workmanlike orgy designs. While many have shied away from her events since the tragic deaths and injuries which resulted from 2000's pillow fight, Marilyn Conrad could not have foreseen the horrific events 
and she deserves a second chance. I myself lost two fingers in that fracas, but all was forgiven after the mellow sensuality of the night called candlelight. And last on my list of best orgies, Boston Breakneck Five. <laughs> Orgy Life gets continual flack for our sparse coverage of the breakout Boston independent orgy scene. Like many Orgy Life writers, my first instinct is to roll my eyes. Boston's orgy scene has historically never been able to compete with the production values of the orgies in New York City, and many Boston indie events have been grimy, poorly lit, and even somewhat frightening. Orgy life has a strict policy not to publicize rough orgies, and many of Boston's young hipsters promoters have been blacklisted from our page due to reports of moshing and other assaults at their events. I had some trepidation about attending Breakneck Phi because I heard that Boston orgy-goers are often hostile towards mainstream types like myself. I figured I'd be grilled about the trivia of the Boston indie orgy history, are denied access due to my age, or even beaten up because of what I wore. All of those fears were allayed when I arrived at the venue, a historic, classy restaurant with gorgeous wood modeling and antique chandeliers, Despite the population of hip 20-somethings, I never felt the sting of ageism. I spent many a happy hour wiggling like a worm after a fresh spring rain, and after the event, I was invited to IHOP with a group of fresh-faced young people with whom I conversed till the wee hours about all things orgiastic. With a name like Breckneck, I would not have expected such a nurturing, welcoming orgy. I must commend the young people of Boston for moving past the snooty indie exclusivity and cultivating a true class act orgy scene. And now for the worst orgies. Sex Fest, an attempted throwback to the cocaine-dusted arena orgies of the late 1980s. Sexfest, with a truly gouched title, is an unmitigated disaster. The arena orgy scene practically killed orgies for good in the late 80s by appealing to the lowest common denominator of society. The beer-swilling monster truck crowd, typical arena orgies, would have 60 men to every one woman, resulting in extreme awkwardness and occasional rioting. Held at Cincinnati's Paul Brown Stadium, Sexfest was anything but the advertised sex travaganza as it was more of a borgy than an orgy. Arena orgies died out for many good reasons, and they should be left where they are. For all their faults, at least 80s arena orgies drew big crowds. Sexfest was a truly pathetic spectacle with less than 400 people in attendance. Couples sparsely dotted the field like stains on a rug, and from the bleachers one would be hard-pressed to tell what anything resembling an orgy was supposed to be going on below. From a participant standpoint, the polythylene filled turf substance of the play area was itchy, abrasive, and entirely unerotic. Next for the worst is Jack Panther's Lolita. 
Jack Panther has always been the bad boy of orgy promotion, with his keen eye for satire and his tendency to flout social mores that has made him a veritable counterculture celebrity. His themed orgies are often shocking, including his 1992 Holocaust orgy created a media-feeding frenzy, and his 1995 sequel, Daddy No, Daddy no practically got banned. Crucified by right-wing pundits. <laughs> Though all the controversy, however, these orgies are held up to a high standard of artistic credibility. I would even go so far as to place his 1979 masterpiece, Rapism, among the best, funniest, and most thought-provoking orgies of all time. However, Lolita was nothing but a filthy, prurit, and exploitative mess. It was a ham-fisted attempt to shock with no trace of Panther's trademark droll wit, biting satire, and plenty of uninhabited hedonism. Most attendees were too shocked by the imagery of the event to engage fully in its action. The rest, it seemed, were a bit too excited by the themes of pedophilia, which made most of us uncomfortable. Nothing is worse than going to an orgy and feeling like you're surrounded by perverts. Next, Keith Lightman's Minimus. Keith Lightman, a convert from the tedious performance art scene, has been throwing dull and pretentious intellectual orgies for 10 years now. His latest lazy and misguided work was called Minimus, which is based on a simple concept. Lightman constructed a large, windowless, concrete room with nothing but a system of sprinklers and fluorescent light fixtures on the ceiling, and a system of drains on the floor. Less than 100 people showed up, and I suspected that at least a dozen of them were paid ringers to pad out the numbers. Before the orgy commenced, Lightman bored his participants to tears with an hour-long speech on the orgy's concept, a tiresome and trite commentary on the prison industrial complex, the action was stilted and tentative due to the uncomfortable concrete, and more than half of the attendees left after the sprinklers were turned on for the first time. They showered them with icy water, unexpectedly. While not quite as nauseating as his horrific 2003 spectacle, Meat Guts, Lightman's latest was an insult to the spirit of the orgy. And last on the list of worst orgies of the year, is Bareback Rodeo. When Orgy Life got wind of an up-and-coming promoter named Morris Pleasant throwing an expensive orgy in the country called Bareback Rodeo in Arkansas, they booked my flight immediately. Reading the PR literature, I was looking forward to a classy, high-budget, action-packed spectacle by a hot new talent of the emerging southern orgy scene. Certainly was that, however, nowhere in the literature or description of the bareback rodeo was it stated or even implied that it was a gay orgy. I had to awkwardly stand in the wings with little to do except admire the workmanlike set design and occasionally fend off an amorous advance to my backside. I have no prejudice against homosexuals, but I hope promoters will be more cautious in the future and send all gay orgy press releases to our sister publication, The Bacchanal. And as always, stay slippery. I hope that brought a laugh to you, like it did me when I first read it. 
And like I read it now, and it brought a laugh to me now. Because that's really the world that we find ourselves in. Satire works throughout time. And the longer comedy, and the more accurate comedy is at its moment, the funnier it is to read in the future. Because you can see just how accurate it was. And I fully believe that firmly tongue-in-cheek as that was, it will be eerily accurate to the world near the end of the 21st century. Just like the free love movement began in the 1960s and swinger movements were huge up till the 1980s, making up a significant three decades or two full decades of American sexual identity of the middle class, orgies will make a return into the simple fabric and framework of heterosexual normativity. Just like how the Romans would casually perform Orgies with their friends, their families, and people they wanted to impress socially. Sex will become a performance. Sex will become an artistic statement. Sex will become a talent to do socially, to do as a performance. And amongst good friends, to share and develop bonds. Remember, this is in context of a cyberpunk nihilistic world where transhumanism is breaking down people even considering themselves sexually human beings. You will see a re-embracing of what it means to be human, what it means to be heterosexual, what it means to be uh, erotic, natural, wholesome, desirable, attractive. And you will see this because they will be the children many, many generations removed from a society that is completely worshipping pornography, worshipping sexuality, and defining themselves only as sexual beings. Even the most conservative quote-unquote conservative of them will still engage in what behavior we call hedonistic, perverse, and sex-addicted. Because over time, the standards, the goalposts will be have moved that far. When everybody is born and implanted with a brain chip and is exposed to pornography at even a younger age than 11 and is uh, given all this education and uh, sex education and read all this these, about these practices and is able to watch literally any film about any sexual act they ever want to need. What you'll see is the revolutionary act of men just choosing to have sex with women but still adapting even an ancient hedonistic uh, jaded sense of group sex throughout their life, public nudity, public indulgence, uh, 
prostitution, um, sex, sexual parties, key parties, swinger parties, orgies, as just part of being in the middle class, as part of just being a part of life, as part of just literally having friends. And that is the cyberpunk, hedonistic, perverse future of America and the world, the Western world, and the trajectory in which it's heading. It, the, the crazy train's already on the tracks. That's where it's going. That's the station. And now you either got to get right with God or just accept that that's the fluctuating nature of the roller coaster that we call human psychosexual culture, norms, values, etc. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you all very much for tuning in to this broadcast, another broadcast episode of the Beyond Top Secret Texas broadcast hosted by Tex. That's me, Tex, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. My pride and privilege to be doing so. Thank each and every one of you. Thank you for supporting by sharing this, by supporting on Cash App, by donating, etc. And just by liking, liking and giving reviews. Give those five-star reviews. Hit those, uh, hit that review button. Hit that comment button. Answer uh, the comments and the questions I leave behind through Spotify, etc. And it all works out. Helps me out. Helps to grow. We are growing. We are doing incredible. And it's all because of you. We are doing better this winter than I ever expected it to. And that's official. Um... You know, we're doing better this year than we ever expected to. You already know that I feel like this isn't your first episode. This is your first episode. Listen to all the archived episodes you can. They're free. Check them out. Truly love it. I appreciate the numbers. Appreciate your time. That's all I ask. It's completely free. Just watch the episodes. Just listen to them. Just download them. Um, that's the best way you can help me out. Just, just listening. Just spending that time listening. All helps out statistically. Hundreds of episodes for you to choose from. There's probably something for you to enjoy across any subject that you can imagine um, you know regarding this kind of stuff from the UFOs to the occult conspiracies uh, regarding the military political association secret societies the occult uh, everything from cryptozoology ufology my own personal experiences as well as many cases of others third party sources audiobooks etc 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 thank you all very much listeners out there in dreamland god bless you and your families peace out